The following presentation is brought to you by KMmedia.pro. Please visit KMmedia.pro for more information. Now stay right where you are as we present. Welcome to Positive Talk Radio, evolving ideas, one conversation at a time. Great guests, dynamic stories and interviews, plus new thoughts on a wide range of topics and concepts. I hope that you'll hang with me, Kevin McDonald, my friends, and of course, you, as together we work to understand why we are all here and what we can do to make our world a better place for all of us to be happy, be kind, and live in peace together. Yep, that's Positive Talk Radio. Positive Talk Radio. I'm very excited. Uh, first of all, I got I to gotta say, that's a relatively new opening that we have, and I have to keep reminding myself that I'm surrounded by beautiful women. <laughs> that's awfully nice. I must say. And uh, today we've got a great a great guest. He's been on the show before, but we didn't have enough time to talk about everything that we wanted to talk about, which which actually involves the theory and management stuff and, and how to take care of people and, and how to build your business and all that. So we're going to be talking about that a great deal today, as well as whatever else pops up. I don't know. know and it may be jukeboxes. It may be... Uh, um, 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 pinball machines it might be any number of things so we're gonna we're gonna talk about all of that um uh, richard blank is our guest he is the ceo of a major uh call center in costa rica mm -hmm. and uh, and he works for uh all kinds of folks he does uh, uh works with cheyenne consultants um He's done a lot of a lot of things, and he helps a lot of people. And I'm I'm honored to have him on the show. Uh, Richard, how are you today? I'm doing great, Kevin. Thank you so much for having me back as a reoccurring guest. And once again, we needed a part two. The first one was so amazing; we had to continue what we uh, started. Absolutely, it's it's amazing that when you know. And the the beautiful thing is is that the more we get to know each other, the better the shows will be because we'll be able to work together and play off each other and all that kind of stuff. But, but I got to tell you, you are, you are a very talented man that has done a lot of things in your life. And so let's, let's give the folks just a brief background of yourself and uh, all the things that you've done. Thank you so much, Kevin. Once again, I'm originally from Northeast Philadelphia. I doubled down on languages when I graduated Abington High School and I was a Spanish communication major at the University of Arizona. At 27 years old, I was given a one in a million opportunity to come to Costa Rica and work at a friend's call center. And I decided to do that. And I've been here for over 22 years. We're almost in our 15th year of business. And once again, I am the CEO of Costa Rica's call center, which is a dedicated bilingual nearshore call center in Central America. And so. Once again, I'm here to share ideas in regards to what telemarketers do, CEOs, maybe break some misconceptions in regards to what a CEO can do. And once again, to share amazing ideas with you and your audience, there is so much to talk about. When you first started, I know that you've pretty much built your call center from the ground up. Yes. When, you're, when you first started, did you get the impression that everybody was like, oh, Richard, 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 now come on. You can't, you can't start a business like that and take it to a, a great degree and stuff like that. And, and how did you get it started and how did you keep it growing? Well, slow and steady. 
is usually the way to go. I first started off by renting a turnkey station at an open uh, call center floor plan, more of like an internet cafe. And then after a while, when I built up to a couple dozen agents and had enough resources, I rented space, bought the equipment, bought the furniture. And then after about six years, I had enough finances to be able to build out a 300 seat center. So a lot of people don't see what's behind the scenes. They just see the end result. And much of the time, it's about um, being very conservative, doing your due diligence, and enough of uh, prevention instead of a cure. Because, you know, I could have thrown everything in and, and overextended myself, took out loans and a mortgage, and that could have possibly not assisted me to weather certain storms. So as I mentioned before, building a business should be done on momentum. And it should be done where you're at a certain comfortable level, not just for yourself, but to ensure the job stability and the sort of security that you can offer those that work with you. And so for me, it was a very simple playbook. The fact that I worked at my friend's call center for four years and I learned the business from the inside and out enabled me once again to understand the foundation of the business. And then the next stage was just C-level where I just had to learn the finances and contracts. But as I mentioned before, if you can treat somebody with empathy and give them their dignity and work well with them, they'll come back the next day. You'll reduce your attrition and you'll be finding many people that you could promote to assist you in scaling your business and grow. The promotion of people, the development of people is paramount to what you do Correct. because you're right. They have to keep coming back. Yeah. <laughs> if they stop coming back, then your business is kind of, your business model is kind of shot. Um, now, did you come up with a, my uh, executive producer is maybe listening now or in the future. And she's, she's uh, telling me I need a business plan. I need a marketing plan. Did you have those things before you started? More or less. I mean, once again, you can't really give yourself a blueprint when you're starting out a company, you could pay an advisor a lot of money, or you can follow in someone else's footsteps. But to me, I, I like to keep it simple method. And so once again, if I could have something that could be controlled and I can understand it, and there were certain boundaries that I could work within, it was very easy for me to start growing in certain stages and certain levels. Now, it happened very fast. I closed my first account February 6th of 2008 for just one seat. And then a couple months later, I grew to a couple dozen seats because I landed a very nice account that continued to grow. And I also realized I was over my head in the beginning. Once I got to about a half a dozen seats, I needed some assistance. I was doing everything, wearing every hat from contracts, HR, marketing, supervision. And so my wife, which was a very top and proficient saleswoman for Cafe Brit for their jewelry department at the airport, she decided to leave that position after multiple years and work with me, which was incredible because we had a home court advantage. She's from Costa Rica. She's a human resources director and was our legal representative for our company with the Costa Rican government. And so you needed to almost let go a little bit and to give yourself that much faith in others. And by doing so, as I mentioned before, having certain people in place enabled my stability and to be able to grow. But you also have to believe in yourself. A lot of the times there'll be a lot of naysayers and great believers out there that might sway you from your vision. But since my intentions were honorable and I was on this vision quest and I doubled down on languages and, 
and was really getting a lot of positive reinforcement, not just from my peers, but the people I worked with. Um, obviously, I was making the right decision. The, the only challenge I had was to convince my family back home that I was doing the right thing. But my best argument, Kevin, was the fact that my great grandparents came from Europe to the United States at the turn of the century. And so they had to learn English. They were entrepreneurs and they started their lives. And so really, we have nomads in our blood. We have entrepreneur blood. And so my greatest argument starting at 18 was that I was just following in my family's footsteps. <laughs> they couldn't argue with that very well, could they? I put that to bed real quick. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they tell me that, um, and I believe this to be true, that in order for you to grow your business, you have to surround yourself with people that are more talented than you are. And who knew that one was going to be living with you that uh, <laughs> you, you took on right away? It had to be done. But a lot of people as well, when it's a startup company, or let's say a company has a setback during COVID or during certain recessions, you need to be forthright with the people that work with you. Because if you hide things behind a curtain and there's surprises, then there's uh, insecurity and people will leave you. And so once again, when I do come across certain challenges, the best thing to be is very candid and very open with the supervisors and with the agents. So we are on a level playing field. And to me, those that have continued to walk with me, grew with me. My chief tactical officer has been with me for over 10 years. My floor manager started off as an agent. He had skills, but once again, growing through the years through trust. And I also love to share my ideas, to sit in on meetings, to work with them on composing business emails or the rhetoric and rebuttals because English is my first language. But then again, I do have the experience working with clients. And so any chance that I have to be able to share with them those sort of tips and tricks and suggestions can only increase their confidence and their ability to understand where I'm coming from. And so a lot of the times I can communicate with people without even opening my mouth. They can see my eyes, they can see my momentum, and they know exactly what I need. And so, as you say, you're kind of feeding off of each other's energies and uh, support systems. But one of my favorite things to do, and you see I dress for the job, is when, let's say, a family member shows up to meet an agent here, like a parent, a, a spouse, or a child. I specifically will go downstairs and outside and tell this agent's mother how amazing they are. Kevin, if your mother showed up here, I'd be talking for 10 minutes on how good looking, smart and amazing you are. They'd have to pull me away. And that's the gift that keeps on giving because A, I'm sincere and B, it's just a proud fest. And I might be the only boss that takes that extra efforts to let someone's mother know that they raised a very good child and that they're very welcome and do amazing work here. So, so are you, do you mean to tell me that you have a call center of 300 seats and you know where the employee lunchroom is? Of course I do. In fact, I break bread with them all the time. And it's very important for me to sit with the people. Obviously, conversations change. Like when I show up, they're silent all of a sudden. I go, please continue. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not here to get you in trouble. We're just supposed to have some fun. But besides the, uh, you know, the lunchroom, I also have a game room. So besides breaking bread with them, I enjoy playing pinball and Pac-Man with the Asians. So I'm very engaged. I'm, I'm a very hands-on boss. I like to, you know, work hard and as they say, play hard. 
but I do things a little bit differently. I, I believe there are certain mediums and certain environments to get the best out of people because this job could be very demanding, Kevin. It could be monotonous. And there also could be factors outside of the office that may affect their work. So once again, I'm able to tap into certain areas of my company where people can let off steam, recharge batteries or be at their best. Then by all means, I support those sort of efforts. See, that's one of the reasons, uh, Richard, that I really want to uh, have you on on a, on a regular basis because you are what I would call an enlightened leader. Um, because you understand what people need and inherently you do because you've done the job that they're doing and you came, came from the ground up and you can sympathize with them and you can understand the stresses that they're going through and then to work with them to make those stresses a little bit better and to and to and you don't you find that your turnover is goes way down. Uh, your job satisfaction goes way up and you have people that are really interested in the welfare of the company. In some instances, but then I've been surprised and even disappointed by people that were not uh, upfront with me in regards to looking for other jobs or outside issues or just not to give us a two weeks notice. But when you had mentioned that I've done their job, my friend, not only did I do their job, but I was the best at it. Consider me one of the strongest gladiators that not only survived an industry where there is a burnout, a turnover, and people see it as a transitional job and possibly look down to it, but not, I excelled into running my own center. And so for me, it's not just being in their shoes. I would prefer to teach them something so they don't absorb the negativity. There are certain skills and soft skills that I will share with them that not only can be used here at the office, but outside of a corporate setting to be able to increase their relationships with their families and friends. And so it's not just expanding on their vocabulary. It's more of their composure and their mindset and, and, and putting fear into perspective. I'll give you a great example. We just started a 10 seat campaign. And yesterday we had a, a bunch of new agents coming in. And for the first day, what I prefer to do is to have somebody stand up, which is very intimidating, walk up to the front of the class with me and role play with me. And I don't do the whole script. They'll do a paragraph at the time and I'll keep it very simple in the structure. I enjoy name drops. So I'd have to have them use my name once or twice. I want them to use the pronouns, the personal pronouns like your and are as emphasis. I tell them where to pause, how to break down lists. So at least they can differentiate. And so I want them once again to have this sort of structure to where instead of acting, they're now reacting. And if they can in the first day, not just get a lecture, but do some public speaking with their boss in front of other people, role play back and forth where I'll pause them, readjust them, pause them, readjust them, make them repeat, repeat. And then when we're done, we give the tab. They're good to go because I gave them their foundation training. And then what they will do is, in addition to that, is to go upstairs and record themselves so they can practice the script, read the script out loud, record it, and then listen to it again. And through self-analysis, their self-improvement, because they know if they're going too fast, too slow, interrupting and not name dropping. And so when they come back to me, instead of just absorbing, Kevin, they start contributing and saying, yes, Richard, I forgot my mark here. My timing was off here, but I landed it right there. I couldn't agree with them more. 
And so you start seeing them go from white to yellow to green to brown, and then eventually black belt. And their ramp up time, their onboarding time is a lot faster than other call centers is because I know what to focus on. The script and the CRM and the phone system, that's what I pay you for. That's what's what you need to know anyway. But if we can focus on soft skills and land an introduction and do a positive escalation to get transferred to you, then obviously you get the pass to pitch. So you might just give me the 10 minutes because you like me. So they could fumble a little bit. They could repeat something. They could stutter, but they're not going to get hung up on as long as they can land the introduction and show good faith and start becoming comfortable. Then once again, the client will allow them some wiggle room to be able to make their point. And if they can do a proper delivery, then allow the chips to fall as they may. Our percentages are incredible when it comes to using those specific soft skills. There are lots and lots of folks that that are out there and they're saying, oh, call center. These are the guys who call me, you know, right at dinner and, oh, yeah. and, and, <laughs> and, and, and that kind of thing. But I don't think anybody appreciates the amount of real skill that it takes to do the job properly to get the best results possible. And that's what you work to teach your, your, your agents, right? Well, yes. And naturally the agents, it's a seller's market. Amazon is here amongst other call centers. And so they might feel offended if they know they were calling Kevin during dinner, or if there was a certain uh, vertical that they may not be comfortable with, like you were mentioning, um, you know, certain movies like The Wolf of Wall Street and Boiler Room, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, The Prime Gig, Other People's Money. I mean, there's some amazing uh, movies where they show these telemarketers selling real estate or stock. And it might not be the profile, the agent. And so we're very selective of what comes in here. The agents are selective of what they choose. And we can't compromise ethics, values, and morals. But there, there is a, a, an art to speech. I've seen a shift today for more omni-channel, non-voice communication through chat, through email. And so a lot of the times people prefer not to take a call. But in my opinion, by making a phone call and speaking with somebody, you have a chance to retain the client, do an upsell, get a referral, and possibly get an exit interview on areas of improvement or what your competition had done in order to earn their business. And it's not just in the office. Once again, we should be looking up during dinner, not at our phones. We should be engaged in conversation and learning about people. And it's just a shame. I mean, I could be in an environment where, you know, 30 years ago, people were talking. And when you walk into a room, no one's looking at you. They made a funny joke, like the movie The Breakfast Club back in the 80s. Oh, it yeah. couldn't have existed today because they all wouldn't have talked to one another. And so right. um, it's just one of those things where I just want them to either learn how to write in cursive and learn how to speak. And if you can do those two things with me, you have written and verbal art. And um, I just don't want them to lose that. Because I think, once again, they're, they'd probably be able to express themselves and avoid any sort of miscommunication. Because everybody believes that, you know, bold cap or a word choice, it could be misinterpreted. And a lot of times it could be offensive. And so we're extremely cautious of the voicemails left in the email sent. We just don't want to do it as templated. What we try to do is to spend a couple minutes or less than that, depending, just to look at a LinkedIn profile or a website 
to see if I can pull out a nugget of a company culture, an anniversary, some sort of celebration. So if I'm writing you, it will get your attention. Like you had mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, Kevin, if somebody calls me or writes me and they took the time to mention my collection of pinball machines, it's pretty much yours to lose. You will have my undivided attention because you know what button to press with me. Well, and and uh, and talking about that, you have one of the best collections in in the Central Americas. From so from proud, of that. you have no idea. <laughs> I love my machines. <laughs> but I you talk know, to them. I tell them how beautiful they are while I'm cleaning them. You know, <laughs> yeah. they're so pretty. Well, you know, what's interesting is technology is changing. Everything everything continues to evolve, but basic techniques, basic sales techniques, it's all about relationship building. Isn't it? I agree. I also believe it's active listening. You should be sincerely interested in what's going on at a company. And what I think is exceptionally sad is that these gatekeepers are given such a bad reputation, but in fact, they are the first line and they're representing companies in the best light. And if you treat them well and respectful and you understand the protocol of a company, they could be your greatest asset giving you direct extension numbers, when to call back, certain areas of interest of a company. And so for me, I, I mentioned this so many times on all of my podcasts and with you, a positive escalation. If I speak to somebody prior to speaking with you, I will mention it verbally and I'll do it in writing. And so if I happen to call your company back, this individual not only will remember me, but will thank me for that compliment and that momentum in my sales call. And I think the worst thing to do is to lie or to say that Kevin's expecting my call or, or that he knows me when he doesn't, because you will get caught. You will. And if, if you happen to get the sale, my friend, it's most likely a one and a done. You're never going to get a long-term client or a referral out of that. So keep, keep your reputation in check and make sure that you can do things in a certain way where you could feel comfortable ethically that you are speaking the truth. And you never have to force a fit. If you're doing the things properly, you might be asked to call back after they check your references. It might not be the best time, so they ask to reschedule a call. These are the sort of things you can't expect a cold call close. A lot of my contracts are done on a second or a third call after they've called my references and, and asked me questions and, and had meetings with other directors. And so I'm very comfortable with momentum as long as things are moving forward. It's amazing to me that uh, there are people, you know, cold call is an art. It, it, it is a major art form. Mm -hmm. I used to tell my sales reps and they, and they looked at me like I'd lost my mind, but I said, you know, I, I, I was a district sales manager for a food company. Mm -hmm. and, and I said, if you, if you don't feel confident, it's you don't feel like you can walk in confidently and, and talk intelligently about what you do, go home. There's no point you even going to make the call because you're just not going to be successful. If you go in and, and with a positive mindset and you believe in your product, you believe in what you do, you come prepared, then you can be successful. At least you're opening the door. Do you agree with any of that? I believe his intentions are honorable. You heard the expression A for effort. Yeah. There's a lot of factors that come into play. How's the list? What's the script and rebuttals like? But I, I do believe that most people fear public speaking than they do death 
And I don't understand why cold calling has such a bad rapper is so fearful because if you think about the rewards from that, it's limitless and you could become a millionaire and it could almost seem seamless. Strangers are friends you haven't met yet. And as long as you have thick skin and your intentions are honorable and you're putting your best foot forward, then as I mentioned before, you'll, you'll play your percentages. No one bats a thousand. I mean, you could make millions batting 300 a year and you have to take that into perspective. And for me, I, there's a Spanish expression, por lo menos, which means at least, at least you did a positive escalation. At least you sent an email out. At least you got transferred. And if you could see your skills improving, and if you have the luxury of recording your calls to be able to listen to them and to study them, that should only give you that much more preparation for the next call. But fortune favors the brave. It's not for everybody. But I've seen so many different personalities from the soft-spoken female to the aggressive male and everything in between. And sometimes it fits and sometimes it doesn't fit. But this is what I know is important. If you lie, you need to remember all of your facts and you'll probably get tripped up every now and again. If you tell the truth, you can tell the same story now to 10 years from now. Not saying people lie on the phone, but it's really about being authentic because if Richard is authentic on the phone, I can be very consistent. And so people will say to me, what's wrong with you today? Or why are you different? No, if, if I can work on and mold that sort of uh, structure and foundation of who I am as a person, then if I am complete, then I would be able to expand and to think of others. But I believe that making these calls and receiving these calls is a means to an end. I find it much more effective than once again, non-voice support. And if somebody needs to study, then study the masters, study the people that, and it doesn't even have to be sales. Like for an example, one of I love old classic movies and I, I enjoyed it back in the day because there's no sex murders and, 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 and too much violence. A lot of it was just beautiful rhetoric. And one of my favorite actors of all time was Basil Rathbone. He made 14 movies with um, uh, making Sherlock Holmes back in the day. And I always felt that his rhetoric, his delivery, the way he would pronounce his words was so clear a, I couldn't imitate Oxford English, but once again, I could take certain deliveries, certain structures, composures, and use it for my own. And watching these individuals or watching certain speeches like a Martin Luther King or Ronald Reagan or, or just somebody that may have inspired you or possibly inspired the world. Even Jim Morrison during his Miami show, you know, he almost created a riot. You, you watch people and you realize what sort of things they said to influence others. And if it is appropriate and it's not compromising anything, then by all means, you should take that example, that history and use it for yourself because obviously it worked. And you need to be the leaders that we're looking for. You need to be the individual that stands up and shows others that it can be done. And it's, it's usually not the first person that stands up, it's the leader. It's the one that stands up after them to show the support of that individual's 
efforts and then more people start standing and supporting. And so, you know, it really depends on who you want to be. But in my mind, there's a lot of people out there that don't work in call centers that work at many companies, even their own private company that make and receive calls. And I think it is an extremely admirable position. Mm -hmm. I agree. I, I agree because there's a lot of negativity and a lot of, um, well, getting hung up on is, is not a, not a fun experience. And when you have five or six or seven in a row, then of course the way you teach it is different because if they get hung up on the, you are more interested in why they get hung up, got hung up on and how to change that. And they change that through their verbiage or what they're doing or the way that they're talking or the preparation that they're doing before the call. Can you take anybody and make them a good cold caller? 100%. Absolutely. In fact, I can even use their accent to their advantage. You have to take into consideration that the people you're calling may be black and blue from all these phone calls. You might call them on an off day. The hour might not be right. As long as they're not specifically listening to your entire pitch and after 15 rounds, knocking you out, that's a different thing. We can analyze it. But if you never even had the chance to introduce yourself and someone just takes the call and hangs it up, how could you even, how could you even count that? But you have to look at the yin and the yang. You know you're sour and sweet. You don't know the good times from the bad times. You, you need to have that difficult call in order to be elated on the great calls. But as I say before, these are the sort of things to build your fortitude, your resilience. And I'm not saying that you should be getting bashed every day and have that sort of negativity. But every single job has this sort of feedback. I mean, for an example, you hear about the nurses who are the most incredible people in the world, how sometimes when a patient passes away, how they feel that and how mm -hmm. they might need to take a moment or it might affect them. Um, doctors, attorneys, engineers, artists, parents, teachers, not everybody passes. And it's very difficult, Kevin, sometimes to hit the ball and drag Johnny. You, you can't always be there for somebody. You, you need to prepare somebody for their own life. And I think some of the best leaders are the ones that call the balls and the strikes, can tell someone to fix their tie, to sit up straighter, or to ask permission before making a suggestion, and then giving them ways in which to be able to improve themselves. Your best friend is the one that was with you when the times were the toughest and told you to buckle up not the one that was only there late in the game, Johnny come lately when things are great and wanting to eat that slice of pizza when they never helped you move the house. And so there's so many different ways to look at it. But my good friend, if somebody comes to me with courage and the ability to be coachable and wanting to learn, then my friend, it is, it is my pleasure to pay it forward and to share everything that I know that got me to where I am today. Mm -hmm. One of the things that um, I've discovered uh, since the last time we talked, as a matter of fact, and so I'm going to bring up a term that I'd never used before yeah. in front in, for, for you, and I want to test this on you because um, there's a coach in the NFL. His name is Pete Carroll, and he has got a unique management style, and what he works to do is he likes to bring in players who has what he calls grit. Uh -huh. And what I call grit is, and what I'm 
evolving into is authentic grit. And that is not showboating. That is not uh, pretending that was something you're not, but it's working very hard to be um, conscientious and doing the right thing and having a stick to it, stick to itiveness and not quit and to pursue excellence um, and in, in everything that you do, but especially in, in your work. But it, and it takes a certain kind of person, but you can learn how to be, have authentic grit if you work at it very, very diligently and very hard. It's not something that is um, a God-given thing. Some people have it easier than others, for sure. But you can, it's, a, it's a skill that you can learn to where you don't give up, that you are honest, you have integrity, you believe in the work that you're doing, and you do the absolute best job to be the most excellent version of you that you can be. And you take people's help and advice to do that. Does that ring any bells with you at all? It does. And from my own personal forced march, it just wasn't showing up one day ready to play. These athletes in football, they started at the peewee level. They right. slept well. They stayed off of drugs and out of trouble. They kept their diet and worked out and was committed to it. So you're really catching them at a certain stage of that spectrum. And so a lot of the times it really has to do with getting up on time, your, your health and hygiene showing up to work on time at the ready. So if you do one thing wrong, if you miss the bus, you show up late, your whole day could be ruined. That, that could throw you off. And so I think even the Navy SEALs talk about the first thing they do in the morning is making their bed just yeah. for their own self-respect because it's tradition. It's something that's nice. You're starting strong. You end the day. You go back to the respect. And so there's some outside characteristics, Kevin, that I believe deal with this grid. And, you know, when I think of grid, I think of John Wayne, because I know he had that quote where he's going to die with his boots on. Or, you know, uh, you have Clint Eastwood back yep. in the old spaghetti westerners. And, you know, they just didn't walk into that town, picked up the gun for the first time. These men over the years saved towns, protected themselves and honed their craft so it could be used for good. And I think you could be selfish with your grit and just do everything for yourself and be very egocentric. But I think grit is about standing up for the underdog, for the little guy, for the one that may be insecure and not knowing if it could ever be done. And so I think grit could be very addictive I think it could easily be shared and it definitely is done through action, not through speech. And I think when people stand up for what they believe in and they stand up for people that are being bullied or someone that has a difficult time expressing their opinion, that takes a lot too. And so I don't like rebels and I don't like people that rock the boat. You could consider that grit where they're just trying to, once again, uh, push the envelope and see how far they can move the line. But I think if you have that sort of energy and you're able to adjust it accordingly, it could work. I, one of my favorite movies of all time was Francis Ford Coppola's The Black Stallion. It was an amazing movie that was made in the 70s. And 
you know, it's about this amazing horse that was the fastest and the strongest and had all the skills, but it never learned really how to run around a racetrack before it was trained. So it was just so wild with all this energy and they were able to harness that and use that to be a success. And I think it's a beautiful thing. I mean, look at Secretariat. Imagine it could have just been a horse in a field that was just beautiful, but instead they tapped into that potential and look what that horse is the greatest you know, race horse of all time. Yep. And so <clears throat> I think a lot of the grit has to do with finding the exact place for that grit. And if you find the exact uh, you know, canal where that could be placed, then it's proper and it will only build on itself and people will gravitate towards it. And, um, you know, you might say that I have grit moving abroad to me, it just felt natural. So one man's grit is another man's destiny in a sense. Well, and, um, the reason I call it authentic grit is that when you're inauthentic and you are using it for improper purposes, mm -hmm. That's that is inauthentic grit. Authentic grit is somebody who is who is confident, who is kind, who's willing to give anything for the betterment of their friends, their family, mankind, their workplace, because they understand who they really are and that that they are they can be helpful. And so those that, that's kind of what I am terming authentic grit because it's more to me, it's it's more a matter of you know what you're doing. See, you are somebody who clearly has what I would term, <laughs> if I was to have a picture of authentic grit, I would put your picture above authentic grit. <laughs> and there you go. Be because what you do is you help your workers, you help the people that are around you, you aren't, you're, you, ha you have the title of a CEO, yet you have... You go and have lunch with your, with your people. You play pinball with your people. You 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 work to create a work environment that is conducive to not only results but also happiness, uh, so that they'll want to come back and do it again, and again, and and grow with you. And that's why you your floor manager has been with you for ten years. That speaks volumes. It does, and I'm very appreciative of it. And when I get a chance to take a step back and wash my convertible on a Sunday, work out in the gym and hit the bag or, or do some pinball, it, it allows me once again to put this in perspective. And I really get very humble when I think about that. I don't wanna show that sort of weakness, but then again, there's nothing wrong with showing sincere appreciation for somebody, Absolutely. buying them lunch or, or celebrating their anniversary with me. But in this day and age, I, I really enjoy seeing people that live their life to the fullest. And I've surrounded myself with individuals that are bilingual, which to me bears a mark of higher education, but also opens so many doors and opportunities as it has with me. So I believe water seeks its own level. You and I are together and we surround ourselves with people with not just the same interests, but maybe just the same momentum and passion. And it, it's very fun to meet people that are outside of your bubble 
So you're not in an echo chamber and you get to hear different perspectives and you get to learn new things. And as long as you keep that sort of open mind and not realize that one culture, one idea is better or worse than other, then I, I think you could be very fulfilled in regards to your stance and other people's positions and who you are as your own person. Because a lot of the times the ego will come into play. And what's amazing to me is that most of the agents are surprised that I know their name or that I take the time. To me, it just seems like second nature. Every owner of a company should do this. Mm -hmm. But maybe it is not normal these days. It's not. Well, then, so be it. They had their chance and they <laughs> decided not to do it. And for me, the way that I was raised and the way that I was treated before the other jobs I've had, and the majority of them were positive. I've, I've had a few uncomfortable supervisors or people that may have misinterpreted my intentions for a company. And we just maybe didn't see eye to eye, but I did give them my 100%. I very rarely missed a day of work. I must've been very sick or my car broke down to miss it. And I was always a top producer. If somebody was paying me to do something and I signed my name to it, I wanted to be the best. Not, not just because I wanted to give them a return on investment ethically, but I had to realize, Kevin, if I couldn't master at that level, how could I get to even higher levels? And so every job that I had only increased in my experience. And when I was in college, I interned for Telemundo. So I gave two years of my life, 20 hours a week, you know, just as an intern for promotions and public relations. And that was a confidence builder and put something on my resume and whatever. But I, I, I realized that when you're forced to do something, you resent it. If you do it on your own free time, you really embrace it. Like when I spent my junior year abroad in Spain, because I really needed to master the language, I spent Christmas break in Europe. So I traveled, you know, on the Eurail and stayed at youth hostels. Now I was 21 at the time. So could you imagine? It was the best time of my life. The, the winter <laughs> of 93, there was a party every day. And when I was meeting these individuals at these youth hostels in Paris and in Prague and in Greece, they want to go out partying even in the morning. They wanted to start. And I said, hey, listen, Kevin, Kevin, I'll catch you at the bar in the afternoon. Do you want to come with me to this museum and see the ruins? A lot of the times, my friend, I had to go by myself. When I was younger and I used to be forced to go to the museums with my dad on a Sunday, I would hate it. But when I was 21 and I went to the Louvre or the Peggy Guggenheim and I would go to the Prado on my own, I really was enriched and I really learned about humanities and I shed some skin and I became more mature and I really understand certain parts of life that were that much more beautiful and I could talk about it. And I was also proud of myself because I wasn't at a bar at 11 a.m. I showed up at five. The rest of the day I was checking out things around the city. And so I, you know, once again, I was taking the most advantage that I could of this situation. And looking back at it now, I am so happy that I did these things because when I meet people that have shared that sort of experience, we can talk about that. And I, and I realized that I've become more cultured and it once again, really uh, taught me about humanities and romanticism and Renaissance and, and how to grow as an individual. And so that was a very big influence on my life and who I am today. 
So uh, when is the book coming out? I got no clue, but I do know this, that the book will be a children's book. And I'll give you a hint. It's going to revolve around mini golf and Rube Goldberg experiments. So get very excited for that. <laughs> then the other thing I want you to do, I think that you would be a terrific corporate trainer and a, a uh, um, motivational speaker. I think, I think that would be, you would, you would be awesome at that. I would love doing- that. My, my favorite is when I listen to the calls or if something's live to do that live training. And I love to walk the rows and I love to sit with people because as I mentioned before, if you're afraid of the cops, you shouldn't be because you're not breaking the law. And if you're doing your job, why are you afraid of me? If I can be next to you and you could not be afraid of that and feel that energy and work, you're growing levels again. And um, it would be my pleasure to work with individuals that way, to be able to pass it forward. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's some folks making some serious money doing that, uh, that are not as gifted as you are. Um, because you, I, I just, I, in listening to you, you do, I believe you have your head on straight. You know what you're doing. You know where you're going. You know where you've been. And you're not, uh, and you're, and you are, um, you've got balance in your life and you, and you're working to make stuff better. I just applaud that, that you, you started from nothing and now you've got a 300 seat. Uh, um, is it still 300 or is it more? I have 300 seats. I currently have 150 agents, but I could grow to 300 and COVID pushed us back a little bit in regards to our momentum, but my current campaigns are growing and a lot of stuff is coming in. So talk to me next year and we'll see if I might be looking for a second location. But in regards to these professionals, and they're phenomenal, I've listened to so many in regards to persuasion, leadership, public speaking, wellness, the whole shebang. And as I say, it's almost like music genres that some people prefer someone's style compared to my style. My style is a little bit different. It's really more of just the foundation training on just common sense, soft skills. I wish I cracked a code and told you something creative. I I know we spoke before about phonetic microexpression reading. So, of course, I do have a couple unique things that I brought up, but mostly everything that I'm talking about, like as a positive escalation, active listening and, and rebuttals and repeating questions back for clarification. Everybody should know this anyway. So I'm just reiterating these foundation training skills that people should have. But I think it's really just about bringing out something that they've always had inside them. They can't tell me all of a sudden they could do it. They could always do it. It's just a matter of them feeling comfortable. And, um, but then again, as I say, there's so much out there. And as long as you can take something from these recordings and use that in your own delivery, I, I think it's fantastic. As long as it's collective and people are sharing ideas it's one. My favorite thing, though, is the fact that I do not have a book or a seminar. I'm not asking for 1995 at the end of this goal. I always believe that what you put out comes back. And sure, I'd love to get additional business and people to know who I am, but I just enjoy spending time with you. And I like talking about things and I enjoy sharing ideas. And as long as you and I, once again, can contribute in regards to making humanity and interpersonal communication better, 
then my friend, we've done our job. That's where it could end just even right there. And I would be satisfied. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's at the end of the day, that's all you really can do is um, make changes one person at a time. Uh, really, really help people understand that there can be a better way. And I would like people to understand that your method of doing business is one of those better ways. Uh, you treat your employees with respect. Yes. Um, there are lots of lots of CEOs that get caught up in the title. And uh, they, they couldn't find their way to the lunchroom if, if their life depended on it. Um, or if they did, nobody would say anything because they're scared of, you know what I mean? Because you have to, it, it, it's, a, it's a process that you have cultivated with your group that you could then go play pinball with them. And did you have an air hockey table, by the way? We do have an air hockey table, beautiful dynamo. And I painted the colors for the Philadelphia Flyers. You have your orange and black on it. <laughs> but um, what I love are these eccentric millionaires and billionaires that have so much money, they can only eat so many dinners. And once they don't need to work, they become philanthropic and they start contributing to society. And so there's not that sort of pressure. And so I think if somebody can elevate past finances and just do certain things in life, even if you're not a multimillionaire, but if you just do volunteer work or work with your neighbors or even internally with your family, I think it's beautiful. I think it's more natural. My main goal initially was to see how many families I could feed. Naturally, money would come after that. But if you do things through that sort of desperate emotion, and if, and if you seem like you're in a certain situation where you don't have many options, then once again, you are not doing things in a certain way where you could either retain your reputation or have that sort of relationship with people that would be long term. And so I, I knew that in the beginning that I'm a guest in this country, in Costa Rica. I'm only as good as my reputation here. And unlike other companies that do not put the biography or photograph or profile on their websites of the owners of the companies, I do. Does that make me a target? Of course, for certain haters. I mean, you're not a real company unless you have someone talking bad about you on the internet. <laughs> but um, I do know this that if someone took the time to get to know me and to give their own opinion of me, it usually is positive. The negative comments come out is when someone has disappointed themselves. I always met them in the middle, but if somebody doesn't come to work, if they're not doing their job and they're latent, then I may have to let them go. And sometimes people will lash out at that or place blame. And I'm okay with that as long as they're telling the truth. But if they're being facetious and inventing things that I, you know, kicked them or I yelled at them or made them cry or gave them the walk of shame, then that's not fair. Because if you're throwing me under the bus, am I allowed to explain that you didn't come to work and that you drank during lunch and you didn't make your phone calls? I mean, you know, I don't want to do that to people online. I don't feel it's necessary. And I also believe that my reputation can withstand any sort of negative press. And you also have to realize that in this industry of a call center industry, the average age is about 24. There is a rotation. And this new generation has the luxury and the medium to express themselves online for thousands to see. And so yep. if you decide to start a company and be CEO, that's the price you pay. You're putting yourself out there. You could be vulnerable. And I'm confident enough in myself 
that my reputation will be able to surpass any sort of bad comments that I may receive from an ex-employee with sour grapes. Uh, because once again, the majority speak for me. And I think I have a luxury of a track record of almost 15 years in business because if somebody's not doing well, they'll be out of business very fast and no one will want to work with them. And so, as I say before, hold the course and stand strong and make your arguments and stand behind what you believe in. And if you do have that sort of foundation, as you say, surround yourself with great people, you will be able to make it through. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting because <clears throat> when I was in management, there were, there were times when it became clear to me that the individual that was working for me as a salesperson or a waiter or, or whatever job they were doing, if they weren't doing it well and they didn't have a smile on their face, I wanted them to go pursue something else that they would feel more comfortable doing and that made them happier because they weren't, they weren't doing this job particularly well. And I was hoping that maybe they would find something that they were passionate about as it came back to me over time, because there were several people that I had to let go because of job performance. And um, I met them later. They, to a man or to a woman, they shook my hand. And they said, thank you. Yeah. I hated that friggin' job. I just didn't know how to quit. All right. And I, you know, and I did, didn't, you know, so you forced me to come to grips with the fact that I didn't like what I was doing. So then I went and found something that I loved. So thank you. Um, now, not everybody does that, mind you, but, but the ones that don't do that are the ones that are not being honest with themselves. And there's nothing you could do about that. We don't know these people sometimes, but what I try to do as a first impression when they're filling out a resume for me is to turn the paper over and write me a couple paragraphs of a coming of age moment so I can see true character. If they ever beat up a bully or save the kitten out of a tree, or let's just say you have this individual that was doing great work and then all of a sudden hits a bad streak, you can remind them on a rainy Wednesday of when they were the champion and how they won. I believe in right bus, right seat. They might not be in the right position at your company, but you, you find somewhere else for them because they definitely belong. Or you, like you can be, Kevin, and probably the best one at it, just the best big brother you can, and laugh and cry with them and let them get it out. Because as I mentioned before, there might be something that you and I have no idea what's going on. And without prying, we might be able to lend a hand. Sometimes they say the best people to speak to are complete strangers or bartenders, and you can just get it out with any sort of predisposition or any sort of judgment. And if you can get that sort of relationship with somebody, where if it gets to that code red stage where you could possibly solve something, it's not just even working with you. Let's just say you could fix it before they leave you. It, it, it could assist them. But I love the fact that they shook your hand. And they thanked you and realized that you as a man was, was an excellent co-worker and it was nothing personal. And I'm okay with that. At least it doesn't give you a heavy heart, Kevin. No. And, and the, the thing is that we all have our, we all have responsibility to take, to do our, our best for ourselves. And if, if for whatever reason you're not doing that, uh, I would encourage you. I talked to a lot of my friends and that, that are, you know, as I've gotten older, and and people would say, I hate my job. 
I just ended that. I don't like this. I don't like my boss. I don't want And it's like, well, go find something that you would love to do. That's the life is too short to, to work at a job that you hate. Find something that you truly like to do or find what used to attract you to that job that you have now and reinvigorate yourself so that you will then have a better, a different change of heart rather than I hate my job. I don't like my boss. I don't want to go there. You, you say, I, I like my job because of this. You might not like every aspect of it, but if you like enough that you can, that you, you continue to go to work and you enjoy it, um, you can make that happen. And I, I know that, that people come and they, they work with you because they feel comfortable with, with the man that you are and that you'll have their back. And as a, as a boss, you need to have everybody's back, but there has to be a certain amount of, at least in my opinion, a certain amount of respect going both ways. If, if they, if they think that you're soft and they can take advantage of you, some, some people will, I chose to be soft. And then when people took advantage of me, I would call them in and say, what's going on? Why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense to me. And does that make any sense? Am I just blabbling, babbling on? No, no. I I think a lot of it has to do with self-respect. You mentioned they hate the job. They don't want to be there and they hate their boss. Those are three things that somebody has issues with. They can't be O for three. (laughs) I mean, if that's happening, then they shouldn't even have taken it in the first place. But if they're at a certain point of where they're forcing themselves to go somewhere, they do not like what they do and they despise their boss, they need to look at themselves in the mirror. Because, you know, if everyone's mean to you by the 10th person, why don't you look in the mirror? It might be you is the one that's that individual. That you might be that, that consistent variable. Yeah, and you, when, I, I, They also have to put themselves in the, in the boss's shoes. And so, as I say before, there, there could be some issues that somebody's having outside the office. My first thing to ask them is, are you working out? Will you stop eating McDonald's? Are you, how's your sleep cycle? How's your wife doing? How are the kids doing? Do you do anything fun on the weekend? Because it could be self-destructive. These people could be doing this to themselves. And remember, if, if you're in a bad mood, you're a hammer and everything looks like a nail. And if you're in a great mood, you're living life through rose-colored lenses and you love everybody. And so, as I say before, someone could see a puppy and hate it while you and I see the most beautiful creature. And so when someone has such negativity towards multiple areas, I think it's more within. I don't think it's you. And someone should never force themselves to go someplace where they don't want to be. And let me put it to you this way. They should have never accepted the job in the first place. If they, they probably liked it in the beginning. They were interested in the beginning. So you caught them at a different head. They changed. And don't kid yourself. When it came to COVID, a lot of people's attitudes changed because of the uncertainty, health issues, working from home, the isolation, the downsizing. I mean, it was stressful all around. And you can't expect somebody to be, you know, living in a fantasy land where nothing is happening around them or playing a fiddle when Rome burns. But then again, I think collectively, if everybody once again works together, we could resolve these issues. And and these individuals, how much have we invested in them? How much time? How much money? So I'd hate to lose that individual and that individual to lose that reputation. And so 
you almost have to take it, Kevin, on a case-by-case basis. I, I also believe, my good friend, in preventions instead of the cures. It should never get to the point of hating job, hating you, and hating their work. We, we should have stopped that a long time ago before it got down to first and goal. We should have been way back with our defense on that. And um, oh, that's agree. the sort of suggestion that I can give into somebody that might be dissuaded from their jobs at the moment. Yep, and uh, and if they're if you're not happy, just go do go. Life is too short. Find something that you will be happy about. You know, and you mentioned earlier about uh, um, the difference between trying to do something and or trying to create something mm-hmm. and having money be an obstacle, okay, versus not having to worry about the money aspect of it. I'm okay. that's where I am. Is that. I've got uh, a, a place that I have, and so I don't have to worry about. I'm, I'm spending money on the radio show that I do. I spend money on this, but that's okay. I don't have to worry about it. So it's not like a drumbeat of. So I, I have time to allow it to grow and to be able to talk to people like you, and uh, because I thoroughly enjoy our conversations together. But what happened to the time before? And I do too. But what happened to the time before you had this money? But, but, but before, you were still the same individual. You still yes, got right. to the point to have that sort of comfort level. So as I say before, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. You can bite your nails right? or you can do things differently. If, if money is how you're going to gauge your lifestyle, you and I have never made enough. People could judge us on that. And that's not fair because I believe that once again, you can't take it with you when you take your final breath. And Jules and gold, they lose their luster. And so you could stack as much money as you want, but you may be the loneliest person in the world and you could have be penniless and the most popular person in the world. I mean, look at Gandhi and Mother Teresa and the influences that they have. And my favorite people are the performers that had the, the vigor before they became famous. You love reading the bios of the artists and the politicians and the people that grew to such heights. But it's fascinating to see them as children and in college. And when they were growing up, you're like, yeah, but they had this major destiny. They didn't know it then. Look no. at Albert Einstein when he was four years old. He didn't know. <laughs> but, but they did know. These individuals in their hearts of hearts knew at the end of the day, they at least had shelter over their head, a meal, even if they didn't have a million in the bank. That's not what they were going for. These people are just trying to contribute to humanity. Finances come second. And for me, my most main thing is to see if I could even do this and to start a company just to say, wow, look what happened. Little did I know it was going to grow to such an extent. And so you mentioning the pinball machines, that's just my reward. I mean, that's me treating myself because I love (laughs) that stuff. But what makes me comfortable is what my grandmother taught me is, is, is to save my money so I could sleep at night. And so I could weather storms. And um, I just hope never to be judged on that. I'd rather be judged on merit, not on how much money I have. Absolutely. I don't flaunt those sort of things. You heard that old story about uh, the guy that said, I put in his will that I want all my money to be put into my casket with me because I earned it and I'm taking it with me. Sure. And, and so they, so when they when he died and they did the casket and and somebody said 
well, we're going to put the money in. And so she wrote him a check and she put the check in with him. So uh, <laughs> go ahead, cash it from there, baby. But go I always ahead. thought that the story of the emperor with his new clothes was interesting because they sewed the invisible, you know, suit for him. And he was still the king. And so as a child, I thought it was kind of funny because once again, he's walking around without clothes on. But when I was a little boy, I also realized that regardless of his clothes, he was still a king. <laughs> yep. And and I and I and I and I like that. You could, you know, some of the greatest works of art and sculptures are when people are in their natural state. Depending on where you are in society, you could be embarrassed by seeing somebody, you know, in that in that sort of position, or you could look at it like, you know, David in, in Milan, Italy. I mean, you, you see this this beautiful work that's there of this individual in a natural state of just strength and of beauty. And, and I think it's amazing when people are just judged on their essence, on who they are, because there's that philosophy when you show up to a date, do the flowers speak for you or do you speak for the flowers? Usually you say, hello, the flowers are great. You put it in a vase and now you're out to dinner. They're not bringing that along with them all night. It was just the intro. It was a compliment. It was a side dish to you. And, exactly. Um, to me, okay. it's go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Go and finish your thought. It's just kind of strange when people expect a CEO to act a certain way or to have these sort of um, bells and whistles. So I guess I don't fit into that mold. I never really wanted to. In fact, it's somewhat embarrassing when people do this sort of thing or they step aside or they you know, hold me in such a certain esteem. I, once again, I'm only human. I'm just a man. And I would prefer once again, to get the respect as an owner of a company, but, but, but don't place me in a, in a white ivory tower. I'm yeah. not on this sort of high horse. As I mentioned before, I've had my highs and my lows. And as long as I can relate to people in that sort of way, then, then that is comfortable for me. Then maybe I made that sort of connection. And you and you have today again, and and I thank you for for coming on and talking with us, uh, because you you genuinely have got a lot of terrific insights. Um, you've obviously traveled the world. You've seen some great sites. You are interested in learning and and becoming more than. Um, and with what you do is you impart that with the people that you surround yourself with, they also then want to become more than. And uh, and bilingual, being bilingual and working with learning how to do this, you're providing these guys, even though their average age is 24, you're providing them with a skill that they can take anywhere at any time for the rest of their lives. And All make the world's a stage. Yep. We're doing old school. I don't need to bring something with me to plug in, to download, to have electricity. As long as somebody speaks well and listens well, as you mentioned, it could be done anytime, anyplace, anywhere with anyone. Mm -hmm. And you're so it's like you're the CEO of a company, but you're also the teacher and the professor of an academy of people that are learning how to and you're giving them the gift of self-reliance, because if you can walk in and you understand how to sell, and you understand how to communicate with people, you can do anything. Do you remember the movie Slapshot back in the day with the Hanson brothers? It's one of the best movies ever. I'm Paul Newman. I'm Reggie. 
I'm a coach, but I'm also a player. And I always found that the best people were the ones that were with their people, like General Patton. Exactly. Exactly. And you can't, you can't do it from afar and you can't do it from on high. You have to get in and, um, and work with the, with the, with the people where they're at. And And that's uh, the only lesson we can share today. That's the main one. Yeah. Meet people where they're at and work with them and, and then help them. And so one of the things I mentioned Pete Carroll earlier, that's one thing that, that he does with every employee from a cook to an assistant coach to folks in the front office, he'll sit them down and he'll say, I want you to tell me how I can assist you to become the very best version of yourself that you can. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. Not Success that, not, is built on a million thank yous. Yeah. And if you're doing that, then you've definitely done your life's work. Thank you, sir. It's Richard Blank has been our guest. And go to go to his website. He's got a lot of stuff there. And his company, by the way, does almost everything. Um, anything that you need in business, they can they can work with you. If you want to give him a call uh, to talk to you about about you doing a uh, a campaign for them, if somebody happens to be listening today or in the future, how do they get a hold of you? What's the best way? Triple eight two seven one six seven five zero. They can send me an email at CEO at Costa Rica's call center.com. And as I did before, and I will again, we have a very large Facebook fan page of about 98,000 local Costa Rica Ticos. It will give you a pulse on the business process outsourcing industry in Costa Rica. For your audience, we're north of Panama, south of Nicaragua. We're the only democratic society in Central America. There's no standing army, so we have a 95% literacy rate. We have the best infrastructure, the most neutral accent in Latin America. And we're very, very much known for ecotourism. So any of your audience that wants to grab a plane ticket and fly down here, I have some amazing suggestions for them. (laughs) Very good. Again, the number to call you. 888-271-6750. Be my pleasure to pay for the call. (laughs) Very cool. And I got to, Richard, I got to thank you again. I want to honor your time. We've gone over again. But uh, you always do. (laughs) There's always an encore with our concert. You know that. (laughs) And will you come back and so that we can talk more? I would love to have a part three. Absolutely. Thank you. And uh, I will be looking forward to it um, completely and totally because I can I can learn so much from you. It's it's really fun. So I thank you again. I thank you, Kevin. It's always a great time. So wait right there. I'll be right the big. Hey, thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of PositiveTalkRadio.net. Please visit our website, oddly named PositiveTalkRadio.net, for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember... Be kind to one another because each other's all we got.